It's a privilege to be here. And the topic is simple. What we're going to look at today is very simple. Uh, you know, I, sometimes I like to make things real catchy and creative, and, and, I, and I had a different title. And I was like, the title's just not right, and it just, it just came out. It's this simple. Preach the gospel. And that's what we're going to look at. The necessity uh, for us as believers to preach the gospel. And I'll just tell you up front, the, you know, the kind of the, the thesis, the main idea, the conclusion of the whole matter is going to be um, very basic in terms of, uh, of you know, just walking through and seeing what the Scripture says, uh, but challenging it for some of us in its application. And, and, the, and the key point, quite simply, is going to be this. The command to preach the gospel, and even extending that out, the command to be instant in season and out of season, is not a command for the pastors alone. It is a requirement for all of us to both preach and be prepared to give the gospel. Okay? So we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 14. I'm going to kind of start us in Acts 13 and just skip our way through Acts 13 real quick, because in Acts 13 you get the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. And I want to kind of give you the, the pattern for what happens for this entire journey. In Acts 13 and verse 1, they're, they're sent, the Holy Spirit separates and calls, and they are led by the Holy Spirit to go and, and to take this missionary journey. Uh, and so they go to Cyprus, you see in verses 4, 5, and 13, and it says in, in verse 5 that there they preach the word, and in verse 12, some believed. So immediately as Paul gets off on his missionary journey, he starts preaching so that some can believe. And we understand, of course, that the message he was preaching was the message of the gospel. But then the, the basic pattern of this whole missionary journey, he goes to a city, he'll preach and teach, he'll face opposition, he'll get run out of the city, and then he'll go to a new city and repeat. And so this is what he's going to do through chapters 13 and 14. He goes from there to Antioch and Pisidia uh, in chapter 13 and verse 14. And as you skim down to chapter 13, verse 28, it gives you, we'll jump right into the middle of Paul's message. Paul's preaching in Antioch. He says, and, and, and though they found no cause of death in him, speaking of Jesus, the, 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 this is a, he's in the middle of kind of leading up to Jesus' his crucifixion. They found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher, and God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. You skip down to verse 38, and Paul says, And be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And so once again, you see Paul specifically preaching the gospel and laying out the terms of salvation, just simply putting forth before the people the message that God gave him to deliver uh, specifically for Paul to the Gentiles. And he says that through him, through this man, Jesus Christ, through the death and resurrection, comes to all of us the forgiveness of sins. He's run out of that city. Acts 13, 51. He shakes the dust off his feet and he goes to Iconium. This is the next city. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost, 14, 1. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of Jews and also of Greeks, believed. And so again, he's preaching the same message so that the people who hear can receive Christ and believe, and they do. Uh, once again, he's, he's run out of town. You, you skip down 
uh, in verse 6 and 7. And, and then he, he fled to Lystra and to Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto that region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. They preached, once again, the gospel. And then again, they're, they're persecuted and they're run out of, uh, of this city. Now, this has been quite a journey from Antioch in Pisidia uh, down to, to Lystra is 130 miles by foot. From there on down to Derby is another 60 miles. So they've made, just since getting off the boat and getting up to Antioch, all the way down to Derby, a roughly a 200-mile by foot journey. And in every city that they come to, they're stopping and they're preaching the gospel. And, then, and that brings us to Acts chapter 14. And we'll jump into verse 19 as they're there once again preaching the gospel. And it says this, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. So Paul has made this trip. And this is, this, is how, this is how divisive the gospel was. This is how divisive the message was that Paul was preaching. Remember, this is a 200-mile by-foot journey. And Paul has moved on. He's preaching in a new city. And now here come some Jews from Antioch, 200 miles away. And they're coming down here just to stir things up and to cause trouble for Paul. They, were, they so hated the message of the gospel, they so hated the message of Paul, that when he left the city, they weren't like, ah, good, he's gone. Praise the Lord. Get that guy out of here. We can go on with life. They were like, you know what we should do? We should walk 200 miles and find this guy and beat him up. <laughs> you ever have a bully like that in high school? <laughs> like, you know, those lazy bullies that take advantage of an opportunity. But did you ever have that guy who's like, I'm going to follow you all the way to your house. I know I live on the other side of town, but I'm going to come over there. That's what these guys were like, the ultimate bully. So they traveled 200 miles, and, there, and they came thither from Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. They started stirring up the people. And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. And I, I think they supposed right. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we, through must, uh, that, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commanded them, they commended them unto the Lord on whom they believed. And then Paul moves on. Let's pray and we'll jump into this. Heavenly Father, we, we love you and we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we'll see today, even for the simplicity of your word, God, we don't need to dive into the, the depths of the mysteries to get exactly what you need us from your word because what we really need is is often really practical and really simple and we need to be reminded and challenged and god i pray at the end of the day that we would be challenged to simply obey your word in jesus name amen paul is dragged out of the city for preaching the gospel after having been stoned to death they stone him to death in the city they drag him out of the city and they just like boom they toss him in a ditch on the side of the road and they're like all right, we're done with Paul. He's dead and gone. And the disciples are there, and they gather around the body of Paul, and they're like, Paul's dead. Now what? Then all of a sudden, he gets up. Now, 
I don't know about you guys. I don't know if anyone here has ever been stoned to death. Anybody? Just Okay. Me neither. I, I don't know what level of persecution you guys have faced, but, uh, but it's not this level of persecution. Right? This is serious level persecution to the point where people pick up giant stones and throw them at you until you die, smashing your body into pieces, breaking your bones, smashing your skull, and then you die. And then they drag him out and they leave him there. But Paul is miraculously brought back to life from that or healed from that, and he gets up, and what's the first thing that Paul does after that? He walks right back into that same city. I don't know if that would have been my response. Maybe I would have taken that as a good time to be like, Remember that shake the dust off thing and move on? But he goes in there at least for another day. He hangs out and then he, he ends up leaving fairly quickly out of there. But, he, but once he leaves, that does, none of that stops him from preaching the gospel. He goes into the next city and immediately once again begins to preach the gospel. And then there's a whole list of things that he does. Paul's actions, there's seven things there that we just read. He preached the gospel. Uh, that's evangelism. You look at that Greek word and it's like, you can halio. It's some sort of English you know, transliteration. You get evangelism. And then it says that he taught many. That, that means to instruct or to disciple. That's the same word that's in Matthew 28, 19. Go and teach. It says then he confirmed the souls of the disciples. That is to strengthen them. Um, and that is, if we were talking about in our context, we're, we're evangelizing and then we're discipling, confirming the souls, and then we're, we're getting them into LFBI, we're, we're helping them to grow in their walk with the Lord. Then he exhorts them. That word is, is parakleo in the Greek, which is, if you're familiar with the, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, is known also as the paraclete. It comes from that. This means literally to come alongside and to comfort so this is uh, the exhortation of walking hand-in-hand hand fellowship, the body of Christ. So Paul is, is doing this. He's encouraging and exhorting them. It says then he ordains elders. So as they mature and grow, Paul ordains elders. Then they pray and fast, and then he commends them unto the Lord to lead churches and reproduce themselves. All of those things, though, depend on one thing, and it begins at one point, and that one point is evangelism. Without the preaching of the gospel... There are no disciples to disciple. There are no LFBI students. There is nobody to exhort and to come alongside and to share the load with and to bear burdens with. There are no elders to be ordained. You can pray and fast. That's the only one that, that you may be able to do without evangelism. And there's definitely no one to commend unto the Lord to continue in the ministry. We are a disciple-making church. We are a discipleship church. And praise God for that. The very first step of discipleship is evangelism. Because if we fail to evangelize, we have nobody to disciple. So all of it depends on that. And my question, of course, is I'm looking at this, I'm like, what drove Paul to get up off the ground and walk back into the city where they had just killed him? Surely those guys didn't go home yet. It's a 200-mile trip. They're probably still sitting in the city. What are the chances they just do it again? But he's willing to do it. What drove him? What was so important in Paul's life that he said, you know what? That can't stop me. The gospel must be preached. And number one, I'm going to say that it was this, is that Paul understood the command. Our first, first thing I want to look at is the command. And I'm going to give you some verses that are 
that you're familiar with, but I think this is exactly what drove Paul. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, as you jump into verse 19, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And as I just told you, that word really means to, to make disciples, but you don't make disciples without first preaching the gospel to them. And this is the command that Jesus Christ gave to the apostles that was uh, extended out to all of us. To go and to preach, right? And this is the key. This is the, the first key that I want to give you is this. That being a true disciple of Christ requires engaging in evangelism. It is not enough for us to know the lessons that we use, to be good teachers, to be good encouragers, to be good, you know, at, at, at prayer, to be good at holding people accountable to their memory verses. You know, all of the things that we do in, in discipleship. You might do all of those things, and you might say, I am a true disciple of Christ. But what God would say is that if you're not engaging in evangelism, then you are not a true disciple of Christ. You know, Pastor Kenny has a heart for this and talks about this a lot. If you've been through the, the Foundations course, you, uh, you've heard it. If you've read Design for Discipleship, and you, you know it, you know these points. But listen... We talk a lot about what, how God defines a true biblical disciple, and it starts here. True biblical disciples, true followers of Christ, evangelize. Period. They do. Well, you know, I say that's not my gift. I'm a teacher. Well, then teach the gospel. We'll come back to that idea here in a few minutes. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, this is, this is uh, Mark's kind of version of the Great Commission uh, as he writes it. You get it at the end of, uh, of all of the Gospels. Mark wrote this, and he said unto them, go ye into the world, and he makes it very simple, and preach the Gospel to every creature. Confusion? Questions? Anybody need me to explain that one? Okay which gives us a, a key. Since this is a command, that means ignoring evangelism is rebellion. Just as much as ignoring any other command that the Lord would give us would put us into rebellion. I've got kids. At times they're good at rebellion. You, you parents know, when you give your kids commands, you want, you want to see them do it. You know, we say this in different ways, but kind of this idea of immediately, exactly, right heart attitude, do it, do it, and do it all the way. To leave out parts of what I've commanded you still makes you disobedient. Right? We get that with our kids, but then somehow we think that, well, maybe that doesn't apply to us because I'm doing other things that the Lord has commanded me to do. Now, to ignore evangelism makes you rebellious. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Jesus is speaking. He says, ye, ye, y'all, you guys, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now here comes another very clear, very simple instruction. 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. All right, fact number, number one that comes out of this passage. Number one, ye are the light of the world. God said that to his, his disciples specifically, but he's saying that as well to us, to the, and, and we'll, we'll walk through it here in just a second. But listen, you are the light of the world. That's the fact of the way that God has designed it now. You, we, are the light of the world. Now let me show you that. John chapter 8 and verse 12. I don't think I put it on the screen. You'll actually have to turn there. I didn't want you to get too lazy. You got to do a little work with me. John 8, 12. Then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So Jesus declares in, uh, in John chapter 8 that he is the light. John chapter 1 tells us the same thing. 1 John tells us the same thing, but Jesus makes it very clear. The word of God makes it very clear that he is himself light, and he is the light that lighteth every man, that he himself comes and does shine on the hearts, the conscience of every, of every man. But then you keep going in John to chapter 9 and verse 5, and he says this, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So he's telling his apostles, he's telling the disciples, listen, I'm actually, I'm going to go, and there's going to be a little bit of a shift here. I'm going I'm to add some lights. And then as you go on to John chapter 12 and verse 36, which is, is where we, uh, we didn't read, we were in Matthew. John 12, if we go into John 12, it says this. It says, while you have light, oh, we don't want that verse yet. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead of myself. Don't go to John 12. <laughs> Go back to Matthew. Matthew is, is what's on your screen. So Jesus said, I'm light, but I'm going to leave. And as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light. But then he comes at, at Matthew and he says, now listen, now you are the light. And because Jesus is not physically here on this earth anymore, walking around and coming up to people and like he did with his disciples and telling, asking them to follow him and ministering to them, he says, I don't do that anymore. After I resurrect, I'm gone. I'm going up to heaven, and it's not my job anymore to walk this earth. Now, on the earth, the, the light for this earth is you who have the light within you. You are the light of God on the earth now. Now you are the light of the world. Which means when we fail to evangelize, our rebellion against God's command to evangelize will leave the world in darkness. If we don't go out and take the light that has so drastically changed our lives and take that out to, to others, what we are saying is that God... I think they should stay in darkness. I know you died for them. I know you loved them. I know you sacrificed your son for them. But practically, from my position, if I don't evangelize, what I'm saying is, leave them in the dark. Even though you told me I am to be the light in this world. Not only that, when we decide not to share the light that we have, it leaves us living in a place of functional darkness as well. Have you ever had those moments where the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, hey, go talk to that person? And you're like, yeah, but oh, it's not a good time. 
oh, it's uncomfortable. I don't know what to say. Like, I don't even know this. I don't know how to start the conversation. Or, you know, we have all of these reasons. We have all of these excuses. And then we don't. That person doesn't get the light. Then functionally, what God tells us is that we can also quench the Holy Spirit. We can shut down the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Functionally, we're telling God, you know what? I also just think I would rather live in the darkness too. But we'll pray and you know we'll go to church and we'll I mean we'll fellowship and we'll congregate and we'll worship and we'll sing songs and we'll lift our hands and we'll sing hallelujah and we'll be like man it's so good to be in the presence of the Lord and the whole time the Lord is saying but you're not in my presence because when I come and I speak to you you don't do the things that I say. And so we functionally live a life in darkness. If we want the light of God to illuminate our lives, then we have to be obedient to the commands that he gave us. And one of those is to take the light that you have and to shine it to others. That's a command. John chapter 12 and verse 36. While you have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. See, God does tell us that he's bringing his light and he's lighting every man, but he also says this, you know what, it is your job to go in to share the light. And there will be times and seasons and lives for people where maybe God put you there for one specific purpose, to take the gospel to that person so that they have a time where they can actually get the details of the gospel, where they can actually hear the truth and receive the light. And of course, you know, if you've grown up in a church, you've heard it said before, but what if you are the only light that so-and-so in your life will ever get to see? You go, ah, this is America. There's a lot of Christians around here. Somebody else will do it. Unless all of the Christians are sharing your same mindset. I lived in a country that was 98% uh, Muslim, so finding light was very, very difficult. Most of the people that I met and shared the gospel with had never heard the gospel. Most of them had never had light ever come into their life. And this became very, very real and very, very evident for me is that if I didn't share the light, literally, I, some of these people may, may walk their 50, 60, 70 years on earth and never encounter somebody who's going to share light with them. But our country is becoming more and more like that. You don't have to travel halfway around the world to find that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. All right, so God not only reconciled us, again, we're still looking at the commands. We're just establishing this biblical foundation, this biblical fact, this, this biblical mandate that drove Paul to get up from being stoned to death and walk back into the same city and then walk on to the next city and continue to share the light. And Paul himself ends up writing this, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. God has called us into that ministry. That's that same idea of what Jesus was saying, is that you will be the light. I'm going to leave and I won't walk this earth. But now you and I, my spirit in you, we will partner together to be light on this planet. Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. Paul says this, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. 
powerful statement proved out in Acts 14, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. And he tells you what the ministry is. To testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul tells you straight up, this is why my life was not that important to me. This is why I was willing to face death again, because God gave me a ministry, and that ministry was to testify of the gospel, to testify of the gospel of the grace of God that brings life. The ministry of the gospel, when you look in the New Testament, it's not the only ministry given. Uh, Acts chapter 6 talks about the ministry of the word. 1 Corinthians 16, 15 talks about the ministry uh, of the saints. So, you know, there's the ministry of also preaching and delivering the full counsel of God. There's the, the ministry of, uh, of the body of Christ and uh, of fellowship of, uh, and, and, you know, of counseling. Those things go into the ministry of the saints. But the ministry of the gospel is also given. And we don't get to pick and to choose and to hold on to one part of it. This is what drove Paul. In Colossians 4.17, he says, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received uh, in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The way Paul said it of himself is, I want to finish the course that God has given me. His challenge to Archippus is to fulfill the ministry that God has given you. And that's the challenge that he passes on to us as well. To fulfill the ministry that he's given to you. And that includes the ministry of evangelism. And you, might, you may say, hey, well, you know what? Evangelism isn't the ministry that God gave me. God, God gave me a different ministry. Well, or, or even when we talk about gifting, you know, there is a gift, there, there's this gift of an evangelist. There is a person in the Bible that is called specifically an evangelist. Uh, and you might go, ah, it's not me though. See, I have a different gift and I have a different ministry. And so God gave you 1 Timothy 4, 5. And it says this, but watch thou in all things. Parentheses, James is inserting. And he says, it doesn't matter what your gift is and it doesn't matter what your ministry is. It doesn't matter uh, how you think you're wired. It doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert. None of those things matter. He says, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. So you go, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not wired for that. Okay. For you, then do the work of an evangelist. I'm not an evangelist. Okay. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. So you are still commanded to evangelize no matter how you were built. In every gifting, every, every personality type, every way that God designed man and, and the uniqueness of who you are, whether you like people or don't like people, whether you're, you, you know, all of those things, it does not matter. You are commanded to do the work of an evangelist. And for some, it will be more work than for others. You know, I praise the Lord for guys like, you know, Larry Smith. It seems like he's, he's, evangelism has never worked for him. Larry's in Kenya right now. I'll be praying for Larry and Anita. They're evangelizing in Nairobi. And uh, people are getting saved. And they're leading Bible studies. And you go, man, that guy, it's just easy for him. It's hard for me. Well, okay. Do the work. Still got to do it. So you're still commanded and you're gifting 
by itself doesn't even matter. Listen to 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Not only are you commanded to evangelize, but you're actually also commanded to be ready to give an answer. You're commanded to be equipped. So failure to prepare yourself for evangelism is also disobedience. Not only the act of evangelizing itself is commanded, but be equipped, be ready to give an answer. And this may be even the easiest form of evangelism. This is kind of passive evangelism. What it's saying is when people come and ask you questions, like it can't get much easier than that when someone just comes up to you and is like, Mark, what do you, what do you think about uh, you know, Jesus? Did he really die and resurrect? Like, I mean, that doesn't happen very often. But people ask us questions all the time. Maybe not that specific. You are instructed, even commanded, to be equipped to answer that. So when we fail to get equipped for evangelism as well, we are being disobedient. That's not as big and scary as it sounds. You don't have to graduate LFBI to be equipped for evangelism. We don't have time to talk about a lot of the practical sides of evangelism. I think uh, in order to be a successful uh, evangelist, at at the very basic level, you can evangelize with two things. Really with one thing, your testimony. If God changed you and you know how God changed you, if you can take that and tell that to somebody else, then that's, the, I think, the beginning. That's the easy steps to evangelism. You, you may be young in your faith, and you, you might not know everything that the Bible says, and somebody might ask you a question. You might say, I have no idea. You know what? I can't, I can't take the Bible and explain uh, all of these deep things to you. But what I can tell you is this. When I was like this, I was a mess, and Jesus Christ came into my life. And I know I was a sinner, and I know he died on the cross to forgive me for my sins. He said, just trust that and I'll, I'll save you. And he did. If you can take what God did in your life and just share that with somebody else, that's the beginning. So I want to look at, um, you know, so built into what we were looking at, that's the command. That, that's the foundation. That's where God wants us. To be equipped to evangelize and then to actually go out and to do it. We have to open our mouth. I want to take a couple minutes and look at consequences. You know, So the obvious consequence, and I've already talked about it, is that when you don't do it, you are rebellious. You are disobedient to the command of the Lord. So there are are the the types of consequence that comes with rebellion. There's the type of consequence that comes with disobedience. You as a parent, again, will understand that because uh, if you're a good parent, when your children are rebellious or disobedient, you, you bring consequences to them. That is biblical, that is right, that is a part of their training. You know, within some, there are boundaries, of course. Don't, don't kill your children. But God does the same thing. I want to talk about three other consequences or, or impacts that come in our life when we decide not to share the gospel, when we decide not to evangelize. Because 1 Corinthians 9.14 says this, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So there is a tie between the things that come out of my my mouth, specifically the gospel, and the life that I live. When I start preaching the gospel, it impacts my life. It changes me. I begin to live of the gospel as well. And it does bring uh, different either 
consequence or benefit but based on our, our obedience to the Lord. So number one, consequences. If I don't preach the gospel, I won't be fruitful. We will all one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if we don't preach the gospel, what will we have to show for our life? 1 Corinthians 4.15 For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And we could go on and, and, and use scripture and build the case, and I think you guys get understand this. When we take the, the gospel and preach that into someone's life, and, and they put their faith in Christ, Paul says, I'm like a father to you, and that becomes fruit to your account. And so when we decide or fail or fear to, to preach the gospel, we are deciding to stand before the Lord fruitless. Now, I've not yet been there but from what I understand of the word, I can assure you that will be far more frightening than the guy in the cubicle next to you and whatever he may say about your Jesus and your beliefs. When he goes, ah, you believe that nonsense? Come on. I believe science. You know, and then he shuts your conversation down. That was your persecution. That's what you feared. It's, and so you don't share the gospel over that and are willing to stand before the creator and say, yeah, I got nothing. But man, they were tough on me, you know? You will be fruitless. Number two, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. This is a very, I think, well-known verse re regarding the gospel. Paul writes this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the, the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation, right? And then in Acts 1.8, you get something similar, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The Holy Ghost uh, within us empowers us to go and to preach the gospel. The gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation, when I choose not to preach the gospel, what I'm telling God and what happens effectively in my life is that I'm choosing to live without, at some level, I'm limiting, I want to live without the power of God active in my life. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You go, well, you know what? I've been praying. I see God answering my prayers. Praise the Lord, yeah. He is moving. And you go, uh, you know, I see the power of God. He's changing my children. Praise the Lord. I thank him for that. But the power that, that translates a soul from darkness to light, the power that translates a soul from death to life, from eternity in hell to an eternity in the presence of God, the power that, that can turn a, a, a wreck of a person into a worshiper, you were saying, I don't want that power present in my daily life. 
I look at times in my own life, seasons, and, and, and times where I've been a, more evangelistic, and, and I would say in those seasons, uh, just the, the act of going and preaching the gospel and, and allowing it to be the power of God has brought the power of God into my life in, in many more ways. And I would say the same thing is true when, I, when I'm in seasons where I don't evangelize as much. You know what, it's not that God isn't there, and it's not that God's not listening, it's not that God's not answering my prayers, but you know what? The, that power that changes lives isn't there if I'm not preaching the gospel. So you want to live with the power of God in your life. So refusal to evangelize is refusal of the Holy Spirit's power at some level in your life. Number three, Romans 10, 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. When you don't preach the gospel, you are saying that you don't want beautiful feet. Or more broadly, you're saying, you know what? I'm okay with being dirty. I'm okay with being ugly. I'm okay with being uncomely in the sight of the Lord. Now, personally, I don't like feet. All right? I don't know about y'all. You can, everyone's got their thing. Maybe you do. I'm an, I'm an ER, I've been an ER nurse uh, for a long time. There's a lot of things that don't bother me. Your guts could be outside your body. That's cool. Your brains can be outside your body. I don't care. Right? I could have to put your stuff back in. I could, you can pee on me. Uh, I've, I've had all body fluids on me from all, all age of adults to child to whatever. It doesn't matter. Feet, don't like them. Like there's two things that I just kind of draw the line. I'm like, feet to me, get a podiatrist. I'm sorry. You go, you go somewhere else. They're all ugly in my mind, right? But God said he takes those and makes them beautiful when we're willing to go and to share the gospel. That he's able to look at us from head to toe and go, yeah, that's a beautiful creature. I want beautiful feet. And I know, for a fact, I have a friend who just started one of these um, boutique health things for men, and he does foot care, and I guess he makes people's feet look nice, but you know what? They're still ugly. <laughs> At the end of the day, the only one, the only one that can make feet look good is God. All right. I want to be, be, be beautiful. Now, I want to give you one comfort, and then I'm going to close, and, it, and it's this. 1 Corinthians 1.17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And here it is. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The reality of the gospel is this. The comfort is this. It's actually not difficult. You don't need a great wisdom of words. You don't need degrees. You don't need, a, a, again, a great uh, education in order to preach the gospel. The comfort is this. The gospel is really very, very simple. And all you have to do is, is speak it. And it itself is the power. You don't even have to be convincing. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to have a, a, an authoritative, booming, beautiful voice like Kenny Morgan. You don't need to have depth of Bible knowledge like Sam Miles or Alan Shelby. You don't need any of that. You just got to be willing to speak it. I have um, a son who's in fifth grade with a number of other fifth graders here. He goes to Crossroads uh, Academy. That's one of the charter schools. And the second or third week of school, 
we got word back that um, they had led two or three kids to Christ. These are fifth graders. And this is, this is my son. He's not the smartest fifth grader. Like, you're definitely, do you remember that game? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? You're smarter than mine. I know that for sure, okay? You might not be smarter than all of them, but you're smarter than mine. But listen, fifth graders are sharing the gospel. It's that easy. They're preaching. They're loving their, their, their classmates. Uh, and they're just going out there and sharing the gospel. Earlier this week, as we were getting ready to leave for school, um, my wife was, was taking them, but my son came running back in. He's like, I need my Bible. And I was like, okay. He goes, we do, I'm doing Bible study at recess. I got to make sure I take my Bible study. So we have recess Bible study. I mean, that's basically on par with Paul willing to give up his life. You get a fifth grader willing to give up recess. Did you go and do Bible study? We were walking at the plaza, my wife and I, a couple weeks back. And uh, there was some street evangelist out there. And the guy stopped us. We came out of a store. He said, can I ask you a spiritual question? I said, sure. And he said, what is the gospel? And I said, well, Paul says it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul also says that it's the power of God unto salvation. And uh, he and I chatted for a minute, and, you know, obviously he was a believer. He was out evangelizing. But I thought, what a simple and brilliant way to just engage people in a conversation. Two simple questions. He got permission. Can I ask you a spiritual question? Yeah. And the question was, what is the gospel? And that will cut right to the heart of the issue every time. That will lead you right into an opportunity to speak about Christ. I thought, this guy is a genius. That was so easy. And, you know, Rosie and I, we, we prayed for him. And we're like, praise the Lord, keep doing that. You could do that. And as we close, let me say this. God has called all of us to, to go and to preach the gospel, to get equipped, to, to be ready to preach the gospel. But also the gospel is as simple as what I just said. And if you've never heard it or if you've never responded to it, listen, the gospel is this. Jesus Christ is God who came to earth and, and took on flesh and died and was buried and rose again so that you could have life because only his shed blood will set you free from your sin. It's that simple. And if you need to follow up on that, then you can, you can grab you know, Pastor Kenny or myself or a number of people around, anyone who's sitting close to you, you grab them and ask them. And if they can't answer your question, they'll, they'll keep passing it along. And for us who are believers, the challenge in, in, is this. Will we evangelize? Or will we remain rebellious?